Hi friends and welcome back to another episode of Open House, a fresh, fun and real podcast where I, Louise Rumble, invite you inside the therapy room with me to learn from some of the very best psychologists, therapists and sex and intimacy coaches that I have found. No topic is off the table, no question too juicy and no experience too shameful. At Open House, everyone is welcome. And we're on a mission to develop a new mental health experience for all because we believe that true happiness is coming home to yourself under the layers and layers of you that society has told you to be. As ever, please remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and you should always seek professional medical help when necessary. Now, let's get into it and I'll see you on the other side. Hi, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Open House Podcast. Before we get into the juice of the main episode, and let me tell you, today's episode is juicy. I just wanted to share with you three PDFs that we are launching with today's episode. Now, if you didn't already know, one of our main missions at Open House is to help people that can't step inside a traditional one-to-one therapy room. Maybe you don't have health insurance. I don't. Therapy's fucking expensive. Maybe you don't have $250 a week, a month to spend on therapy. We have created resources for you if that is something that resonates. And I briefed all of the therapists with basically this desire that I wanted to create a journey for people that they could go on even if they couldn't step inside the therapy room. And this is where our e-guides and our PDFs were born. So they are all $19.99 and they are all literally 40-page self-reflection therapy journeys led by a therapist full of diagrams, full of questions, full of psychology to help you see what is really going on with your life and how to fix it, even if you can't get to therapy. Now, if you head over to our therapy store, there's already a ton over there. There's the Healing Your Anxious Attachment Cycle, which is our bestseller by a million miles. But we also have how to protect your heart and how to identify the emotionally unavailable, how to work out if your partner's cheating and what to do next, and the 11 stage process that you need when trying to overcome infidelity and so much more. But today, today, my friends, we launch our first ever sex PDFs. And oh my God, am I excited. The first one is the Pleasure Playbook. Now this is something that I wish I had had when I was younger. We literally take you through all the different pleasure types so you can work out how you like to best be pleasured and how to communicate that outwards. We also run through the different types of sex drives and we just take you through so many things that I never knew that can help you literally revolutionize your sex life. We talk about spontaneous sex drives versus responsive sex drives. We take you through this erotic blueprint. We take you through a journey to compassionately face and heal shame, body image, your connection with your penis or your pussy, and so much more. That one has been created by me and Dr. Massimo, our resident sexologist and doctor at the Open House podcast. And the second PDF is also critical. And it's for people who have a mismatched libido with their partner. So maybe your boyfriend or your girlfriend, they like to have sex more than you and you feel like it's starting to push your relationship apart. 
Or maybe it's the other way around and you wish that you could have more intimacy, more sex and more passion in your relationship. We help you understand where these mismatches in libido can come from. And we give you nine scripts word for word to navigate these slightly uncomfortable discussions. When I was younger, I never would have known how to approach these topics around intimacy and libido and sex drive without getting the other person angry or upset or sad. And honestly, that was more reflective of being in unhealthy relationships than anything. But I also just didn't have the vocabulary and the conversational like education around how to have these very normal conversations. So we give you that and so much more. Now, the final one we've launched in partnership with Sarah Murphy, our in-house integrative health practitioner. And if you have a low libido, this PDF is for you. It is the ultimate guide to what is going on inside of your body, biologically, biochemically, and it's called Libido Liftoff. It's how to understand why your body is not experiencing pleasure in the way that it could be. We cover all of the root causes of a low or slow libido, and we talk about mental health, medication, diet, thyroid, hormone imbalances, blood sugar and insulin, cortisol and high stress levels, nervous system health, sleep, and even a huge list of supplement recommendations and top tips and tricks to help you get back on track. Between these three PDFs, there is literally everything that you would learn in six to 12 months of sex therapy or working with an integrative health practitioner. Condensed it down. And we have condensed it down into these beautiful e-guides for you. So that is everything you could need. And I am so, so excited to share these with you. They are linked in the show notes. They are all on thisisopenhouse.com in our therapy shop. And remember, if you are in our Open House Premium community, you get a discount on all of these PDFs. So we'll be sharing that code with you inside of the house. Anyway, enough from me. This was the most boring introduction that I have ever shared with you. But girls got to tell you what we've been working on, you know? So I hope you guys love these PDFs. I also hope you love today's episode. It is so fascinating. It's one of my favorite sex episodes that we have recorded in as long as I can remember. And stay tuned. One of the next episodes that we're going to be releasing is going to be a real life discussion with an incredible woman who has learned the hard way that distraction and coping and avoidance from reality can really show up in fantasy bonding and a fantasy sex addiction. So that is also an incredibly interesting discussion that I can't wait to share with you. Other than that, I hope you guys are okay. I have been sick for like two weeks now. You can probably hear the remnants of this in my voice. I'm really, really, really hoping that I'm coming out of it because Tulum and life has been kicking my ass for as long as I can remember. I am really trying to be gentle with myself and to understand that this season is just a more challenging one than I was ever expecting. So if you are going through a challenging season, whether it's inside the bedroom, whether it's outside the bedroom, I want you to know you are not alone. I truly trust that this too shall pass and that one day soon, everything is going to just make a little bit more sense. I love you guys and I will see you on the other side. Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Open House Podcast. I'm so excited to have Dr. Massimo back with us, sexologist, clinical psychologist, you name it, his list of credentials just goes on and on and on. But what is more exciting is how he's really stepped into this space of sex and intimacy. So he is the 
perfect person to take us on today's journey talking about the why behind your orgasm. And really, we're just going to get into the juicy stuff. And I really think there's going to be a lot of things in this episode today that's going to be eye-opening for people listening. I think we're just going to jump right in. And I, I think the first question that I have for Dr. Massimo is the concept of the why behind people's orgasm. This probably sounds like such an abstract concept for people. So I'm going to lead you in with a bit of a story. It's quite an intimate one. I have two stories, actually. I don't know which one to lead with. I guess the first one probably should be to lead with an ex if we're going chronologically. And he masturbated all of the time. And initially, before I'd started doing the self-work, before I'd gone to therapy, I just thought like, whoa, this guy has a high sex drive. And then the more and more time we spent together, I would see he needs this orgasm. He cannot go to sleep without this orgasm. He cannot go to sleep without masturbating or me giving him a blowjob or us having sex. And the more and more we dug into it, I did say to him one day, do you think you might have a sex addiction? And now I think, again, this is so important for people to understand that to have a sex addiction doesn't mean that you're fucking 50 people every week. It can be that your relationship with sex, your relationship with orgasm and the release it gives you can be an addiction. Now we're going to get into that in today's episode. But that that was my first insight into why. Why is he doing this? Because it's not about the pleasure. It's not about the connection. It wasn't about connecting with me. We were connecting a lot. We were deeply intimate, deeply sexual. Like it wasn't really to do with that. And then I started talking to my best friend and she had just broken up with a very toxic and abusive man, which my boyfriend wasn't. So it's not fair to put them in the same category. But she said he just needed blowjobs constantly, constantly. And I think that people can laugh at this and think, oh yeah, you know, what are they like? But until you've been in a situation and really understood what constantly means, how it's not like a connected, beautiful, passionate experience it's like they need it. They need it. And if you're not going to do it, they're going to do it and they're going to guilt you into doing it. I think that a good place for us to start before the concept of what is your why is this concept of an orgasm being a release. Should we start with that so people can kind of get the foundations and the baseline in and then we can dig into the nitty gritty of what comes next? One thing that I think we all need to be a little bit mindful of is... When we're asking the why around orgasm, a lot of the time, orgasm can be deeply connected with self-soothing. And when someone has more of an addictive styled personality, they're desperately seeking some kind of self-soothing that they can't give to themselves. So the quickest, easiest access is giving oneself an orgasm or receiving an orgasm from somebody else. And it's that fleeting moment that sort of rests their soul a little bit. Yes, I am so happy we are going here because this is the conclusion that I've learned from him. I've learned from myself in another situation, which we'll come to. I'd love it if we could just go into this self-soothing, this release. Like we talk a lot more now on the podcast about nervous system dysregulation and how we need to self-soothe ourselves to bring us back into a state of calm and center. Please tell me more about this self-soothing and actually if orgasm can do that much like a hot bath or a pizza might do it for someone else. There's a large part of us that's hardwired to be hedonistic in nature. 
and striving for pleasurable things in life. The same applies in how our bodies and minds connect to orgasm. It's here where I think orgasm really reinforces the desire for sexual behavior with sort of an ultimate reward. So if you think about the phrase, le petit mort, right? Forgive my French, it's terrible. But it's really an expression that means the brief loss of or weakening of consciousness. Now, and how we use it today, it's deeply tied to orgasm. But it's specifically connected to with the sensation post-orgasm, which how it actually came about is that it's likened to death. So if we've experienced an orgasm, it's fundamentally the epitome of release. Now, this release, of course, is felt in the body. It's felt in the mind. It's felt deep in our soul. So what better methodology do we have available to ourselves than actually using that to soothe ourselves? Now, the more conscious we become in the exploration of our orgasm, we can tune this experience or at least fine tune it and harmonize it to such an extent that it literally becomes the ultimate reward for ourselves. So in one way, it's amazing that we've connected with this reward system, but it's the abuse of the reward system that moves us further away from self-soothing to one of now this is an addiction and a desperation. And I think a lot of us fall into that trap of making the big O the thing that we seek rather than the whole pleasurable experience. Yeah. I mean, we can't deny that in that moment, you know, the post-coital bliss, like it is bliss. You just lie there and it doesn't matter what is going on in the outside world, whether it is one second, one minute, 10 minutes, no matter how you experience this, for 10 seconds, you can just literally breathe out. And I can imagine that it's just like what it would be like taking heroin. You know, that moment where everything else just fades away. And it's like, ah, it's just stillness for me. And I have a very busy mind and a very busy body. So for me, it's just like, it's so powerful. Like sometimes, and I think when I was younger, you kind of, you just think like, oh, I got to get up and get on with life. And, you know, if you don't know the person, it's embarrassing if you lie there seeing stars. Whereas the safer and safer you become in your relationships, like I will just literally like lie there, like not, not dribbling, but, you know, basically like, oh, uh, like, oh my God, not, not moving. And like, I'll come back to reality whenever feels right for me or whenever feels right for my partner. And that's dependent on, I guess, how intense the orgasm was and if I have to get on with my day and, and all of those things. But it's definitely a release. And we see these releases everywhere in life. And the more and more that I learned from Gabor Mate, who is one of the leading psychological experts in the area of trauma, who you know very well, he explains that addiction ultimately is just a deeply dysregulated nervous system that started from a very, very young age. But if we do just quickly take that more generalized approach because of time constraints, we can then see that as adults, if we are living with a dysregulated nervous system, if we are living with pain, with trauma in our psyche, in our body, in our soul, ultimately we are all seeking relief. And that's how I see today's society running. You know, what is what is your, people call it vice. What's your vice? But really, what is your release? Are you fucking? Are you smoking? Are you drinking? Are you eating? Are you running? Are you sleeping? Are you medicating? You know, whatever it is, everyone seems to have this, their own little toolkit 
of release mechanisms that are ultimately often pretty unhealthy until we we start to shine a light on them. So I love it that sex is being put in this category because I'll say it again, sex addiction is so misunderstood. And, you know, when Justin Bieber came out and said that he was a sex addict, for everyone else, they probably thought, oh yeah, of course you fucking were. But for me... I thought that makes so much sense. You are one of the most traumatized individuals on this planet after what you've gone through. I mean, so much trauma from such a young age. Of course, you are going to be seeking relief in any way, shape or form that you can. And, you know, there's a lot that comes with that that's very easy for him with the attention and the validation and it being on tap, much like a drug would be on tap. So I'd love it if we could just talk into this concept of healthy self-pleasure like it's okay for masturbation for orgasm to be a part of your toolkit right we're not saying that you should never orgasm obviously we're very 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 pro-sex on this podcast but yeah I just love your thoughts on on that so our first sexual experiences are usually coming into contact with our own sacred spots or spaces and thankfully given the environments that we land in if they're conducive to us we can explore this in a healthy way But the reality is that we never really have anyone teaching us how to step into that sacred space and explore our bodies in the best and healthy ways. So the starting point for me, even before getting to orgasm with partners or in a relationship, is creating depth and connection, first and foremost, with self. Ultimately, I think it's something that each and every single one of us needs to revisit because we assume that we know how to masturbate. But I don't think that we actually do know how to masturbate consciously. And when you bring in that sort of ideology or thinking into play, that's also a really nice moment to question whether your masturbation style or your connection with masturbation is more addictive or leaning toward addictive styles of of masturbation. Or is it a case of you actually just really have a high libido? I think it's so interesting what you're saying about like revisiting your experience with orgasm because I had this really interesting experience which I've never spoken about before which was that when I was broken up with by my ex-boyfriend everyone knows now I don't need to tell the story like I was fucking traumatized okay I was like totally dysregulated couldn't eat couldn't sleep nightmares every night like I was in such a bad place Now, what was so, so crazy that I, that really was like, okay, I understand how this all works now, is that looking back, the only two things that I could do were online shop and masturbate. That is honestly so weird because I was so sad. I didn't feel aroused. Why would I be aroused? I'm fucking heartbroken. Like, you know, that's not conducive to healing a broken heart, but we were in a pandemic and it wasn't even that. It was just like my body needed the dopamine hit. Like right then there was no dopamine. There was no serotonin. There was no oxytocin. I was like dripped dry from my brain, which is my first part of this. Like, yes, look at when do you orgasm? Is it at the end of a stressful week? Is it as a procrastination tool? So I just love to hear your thoughts about like using orgasm as a coping mechanism. Maybe you're lonely. Maybe you're heartbroken. Maybe you're busy and you're fucking stressed. I'd also love to talk about it as a procrastination tool because sometimes, honestly, I would find myself masturbating when I'm like, what the fuck are you doing, Louise? You have no time. You are so stressed. But I'm like, oh, I think I'm just going to masturbate quickly. <laughs> this is where I think uh, men men and women differ largely on this front. It's 
the baseline of it is that men grow up with their penis in their hands. So we have more contact with our tool of pleasure. So naturally, there's going to be more airtime if you want to look at it like that. And I think we're more prone to falling into the trap of masturbation because porn is really tailored to men. And if we've made that connection that the experience of connecting with our tool is going to be pleasurable and it's a stress relief and all the medical literature that's out there says that the more orgasms you're having, the more ejaculation you experience, it's good for your body. So it kind of really lends to that, I don't want to say addiction as such, but it does lend to that unconscious process. This is very different for, for women because women's coping mechanisms aren't necessarily going and putting our hands into our panties and, and that's our go-to. When we're looking at orgasm or pleasure, it can also be used as a means of validating oneself in relation to someone else. So if you don't feel particularly good about yourself and have sex and have an orgasm, it helps distract oneself from anything else that's going on in your life. And it's especially distracting because it feels good. And as a trauma response, what I find quite interesting here is, is that it can go in one of two ways. The first is that the trauma experienced is a precursor to the blockages that we create. So it becomes the one thing that we desire, most especially if we've experienced primary or secondary anorgasmia. So primary anorgasmia is when you've never had an orgasm before. Secondary anorgasmia is when you've had an orgasm, but there's some kind of blockage that's come up. The second part is that we've somehow convinced ourselves that because of all the trauma we've experienced, the only goodness that life has to offer us is where we feel truly connected, even for just a moment, and that's during sex. This is another way of dissociating from our trauma and feeling some kind of connection. It's interesting here because this leads to potentially impulsive behavior where we're not 100% sure if we should be engaging sexually because we desire validation. And this is where I always say a maybe is a no. And we kind of go against our better judgment. And instead of actually looking at orgasm and connection healthily, we really are reinforcing bad behavior and addictive styles of behavior. I'm so grateful that you brought up the concept of disassociated behavior as a pairing or a partnership. Because so far we've asked you to think into some of these questions around your relationship with self and with your orgasm, but it's the same thing for your partner. There is a big question around, are you two disassociating together? Are you two not facing up to the issues in your relationship? And I actually want to ask you a question here, which I think fits into this category perfectly, which is that we received a question through the house, which is our community area, from a woman saying that her and her boyfriend both have really, really high sex drives. She explained that he had recently contracted an STI, so they weren't able to be intimate for a month or so. And it was really, really, really impacting their relationship. And I just want to ask you your thoughts on this, because for me, where I came at from this question was, first and foremost, it would be about caring for him emotionally. Are you okay? How can I support you through this? Second of all, if my pleasure was coming to the surface, I would be saying, I want you to pleasure me. You know, maybe you can't use your penis. Maybe you can't use your mouth. I don't know what the STI was. I assume a clean finger would could still, you know, do the job. How can you pleasure me? Or how can I pleasure myself? Like in this experience, like I will masturbate in front of you or we could watch porn together. I don't watch porn, but we could watch porn together or I could just masturbate in private, you know, with 
my toys and not bring that to the forefront. So I just think that this is a really interesting question around like the, what happens when you can't orgasm and if it shows you that like your relationship literally depends on it. Do you think that there can be a point in a relationship where orgasm becomes too important and almost detrimental to the functioning of the relationship? I think it's an amazing question, to be honest. Um, the first thing that comes to mind for me is, is that I don't think that it's a problem with orgasm. It's a problem with not being able to penetrate. And I mean, I don't know this couple at all, but if both of them have high sex drives, there's nothing saying that they can't step into the pleasure space mutually with one another. As an example, mutual masturbation. There's something absolutely beautiful and erotic about that. If no one has ever tried that, go out and try it. But what this says to me is, is that the frustration is coming from the fact that he can't penetrate. I would question if she's experiencing the same frustration for not being penetrated. But what this also does flag up is, is that they actually haven't really explored the pleasure space. So there are so many other different activities that can be done in the bedroom or anywhere else, really, that that can allow both of you to experience that. There's nothing saying that he can't give her an erotic massage and make it completely about her pleasure equally. She could do the same thing for him. So there's so many different angles that could be used or stepped into that that can help them both step into the pleasure space. I just think that all the men are going to hate me for this. It sounds like a bit of a man problem here. I don't know, though, because I think that she was the one that put the question in and she was the one saying that she's really struggling. So I feel like it's coming more from her than from him. And I think your point there is so interesting about the fact that ultimately she's probably not being penetrated. And I think that is what she is craving and that is what she's missing. And that's why I'm so happy that I've just asked you this question because I would never have come up with that answer myself. And I also think for her, connection and pleasure is probably, like you said, it's just penetration. Whereas like for me, for example, penetration is like quite a traumatizing thing for me. So I find so much pleasure in so many things that are not penetration. So I think it's so interesting that we're all just shaped by what we've gone through. And I would love to understand more from her, like how she came to need that penetration so much or connect. That's, that's not nice to say she needs it, but I guess she does need it. And I think it would be great to understand where the driver, the why is coming from. That for me is super important information because it changes the whole dynamic of the situation. So if she's desperate for that penetration, my question would be, is she using penetration for validation? So if she's not receiving that penetration for him, from him and feels that she's not being validated because for her, that penetration and connection with him is the thing that makes her feel connected and, and sort of safe in the relationship, highlights codependency. That's one thing. But then it's also flagging up it's an amazing opportunity for them to actually redefine what pleasure looks like in the relationship. And if they can do that, they can really iron out if there's any codependent issues or anything that's, that, that needs to be spoken about. And I think, like you said, you know, she mentioned in the question that he was feeling ashamed. But I think that if she's there to, to support him, you know, assuming that he hasn't been unfaithful, if she's able to be there to support him through the shame and to love him through it, that also is an opportunity for them to come closer emotionally. So actually, I would see that while she's put this in as a question saying like, this is basically awful for our relationship. The truth is, is if we switch the lens on it, 
it could be a beautiful opportunity, a beautiful vehicle for them to get closer, for them to explore more pleasure points, more touch points, literally for them to come closer emotionally. So I think this brings us perfectly into the last stage or part of this episode, which is talking about these concepts of expectations and pressure and ultimately what happens if you have mismatched libidos. Because the truth is, it's probably quite rare that you have the same libidos all the time. Because like we said at the beginning of the episode, they are driven by so many things and different things with different genders and sexes, blah, blah, blah. But what I do get a lot is women messaging me saying, you know, my boyfriend's not having sex with me as much as I want him to, like he's having body issues or vice versa. And then on top of that, we're having this discussion in the house at the moment in our community room about a boyfriend of one of the lovely ladies in the group who basically has said that he believes that a woman should really have sex whenever the partner wants because otherwise it's a form of rejection and that is like mean to the man. At which point, obviously, all of us were in uproar in the house being like, this is like not how healthy pleasure a healthy person would function. They should never, ever say that to you. Whilst I can see your outrage on the last point, I feel let's go there because you're going to be <laughs> alive and kicking on that question. Louis, when you're putting force on something, you lose power. When you're bringing this concept of, of forcing anything or it becomes an imposition or you have the sensation that I have to do something because I'm compelled to rather be, rather than because my body is ready to receive or give, there's a massive problem there. And I like to give the benefit of the doubt to couples because I think sometimes we step into this space very unconsciously and we kind of can use it as a bit of a, oh, you know, let's put a little bit of pressure because I really want to make love to my partner. It's fine in a playful sense, but if you notice that your partner has or shows nuances of resistance or tension in the body, as an example, what I think is really important to actually address is, are you actually ready to receive me? And this works both ways, right? But going back to what you were saying about the gentleman who has almost this expectation that women need to surrender to his desire, that's just a no. That's, that's beyond a no. And that's a very narcissistic expectation that you are here to pleasure me. Pleasure is about connection. It's about safety. It's about nonviolence. It's about coming together so that we are co-creating a beautiful essence together. And then fundamentally, if you want to have kids, you are co-creating to something, you know, even more beautiful. But at any point in a relationship, if you're feeling pressured into something, you really have to take a step back and actually ask the question, what's going on here? There shouldn't be any pressure. And it gives you a lovely opportunity to face that head on because maybe it's a moment of recognizing that the person that you're choosing or the person that you're with has a completely mismatched set of values, which flags up, does this person actually respect my boundaries? Do they respect my values? Do they respect my body? And this is something that's that's very scary to ask because if that person actually goes, no, you're, you're here for my pleasure you know that that person doesn't actually respect you. They don't have that empathy and desire to connect with you on a, on a loving level. And they just want to use the body. That is so fascinating and so important because I think if we look back to my ex, for example, whenever we would speak about this, he would, with a level of self-awareness, be able to say, 
with empathy. I'm so aware the pressure that this puts on you. I'm so aware how this is intrinsically tied to the deep abuse that I've experienced in my life and the escape that I'm experiencing in these moments of orgasm. There was so much awareness around like this is a coping mechanism. Whereas like in this other situation, for example, I really would urge this woman to like dig into this more because like you said, it sounds like there's no empathy there. It sounds like there's no connection there. It sounds like it's a a him problem, not a her problem. But I think that's so important around, yeah, understanding again, just like where we're asking, where is this orgasm coming from? It's about asking, where is the pressure coming from? If someone is pressuring you to have an orgasm, why? What in them is pressuring you? Because, you know, there's probably something deeper going on that's not just like, oh, fuck, I'm frustrated and I need an orgasm. For me, there's two parts to that. There's the part of the self-pressure or the self-imposed pressure that the person is putting on themselves to be the person that performs or gives in to something like that. And then there's the other side where the, the partner is pressuring me into doing something. Now, I think if you collectively both stepped into that space and said, okay, if I have a very high libido and you have a more of a mediocre libido, something that we can work towards is the 30% rule. So if I can increase my libido by 30% and you decrease your libido by 30%, you're far more aligned or closer aligned to actually be more matching on your levels of libido. That says to me that here you have a conscious couple that is stepping towards a space of going, this is about alignment and getting as close as we can. So we both have that level of fulfillment because I've got to give up something if I'm coming down and you've got to pick up something to meet me a little bit further up. So it's it's really a nice give and take from both sides. And I think it's so important to just delineate there, like you said, that compromise is different to pressure and expectation. Like one is a conscious choice understanding that ultimately relationships are one big fucking compromise, like, you know, life and two different people with values and goals and ambitions and just just so many things that you have to relate on. And that means relating around a certain point. And sometimes that might mean a level of compromise. So I think that's so important to understand that compromise can come from a place of conscious acceptance and acknowledgement not coming from a place of like, I have to do this. Like I have to, I have to go 30% down or up to keep this partnership. Like it's not coming from that energy. And I also want to ask you, like, do you think it's fair that if a partnership are trying to navigate the 30% rule and it's not working and one partner just can't or doesn't have a sex drive, do you think that ultimately it can be a reason to break up? Or do you think that only unconscious couples who deeply are needing something from frequent orgasming would break up over a mismatch in libido? That's a bit of a tricky question, but I'm excited to hear your answer. If you're looking at all the research that's out there around sex orgasm and sort of depth of connection, most people actually lean towards companionship being one of the most important aspects of a relationship. So I know I often speak about the RDBSMA conversation. And I think when you step into a space of exploring your desires, this gives you an amazing opportunity to be authentic with yourself. And if you can have this discussion with your partner, and let's say, for instance, you really do have a super high libido because that's just the way that you're made and your partner does not meet you on that level. And maybe it's having sex once a month. It needs to be addressed that's first and foremost, because I let's say it's it's this person who has a very high libido is perfectly fine masturbating. 
And that once a month experience is perfectly fine because they connect very deeply and it's an amazing experience. There's nothing saying that that relationship won't work perfectly fine. But that also says that they've been able to navigate the communicative space and understand where both people are coming from. We, we can't look at relationships as being linear and saying that this is the only way that a relationship works. When you're really thinking out the box, using the same example, let's say, for instance, they deeply, really love each other. And the partner turns around to the one who has a very high libido and says, look, I'll give you a whole pass. If that's going to be something that gets it out of your system and this could be a frequent experience that you have, I have no problem with something like that. So I'm not saying that that's necessarily the solution, but what it is flagging up is, is that it gives you an opportunity to really think out the box in terms of how you want to navigate this relationship. And if you've found a person that you really love journeying with through life, there's nothing saying that there can't be a remedy somewhere else. There's there's so many interesting things that can be brought into the bedroom space that if you have a very low libido, it also gives you an opportunity to explore why is that the case? There's nothing saying that you can't elevate that. I'm so glad that you said that because that was another thing that I was going to say is like, we've spoken a lot today about high libido and how it can be an escape and a coping mechanism and a procrastination mechanism and a validation mechanism and all of these things. The thing I guess we've spoken a little bit less about is the low libido. And I don't think that it's discussed enough around how you can explore how to increase that naturally. Maybe your hormones are unbalanced. Maybe if you're a man, you don't have enough testosterone. Maybe you need to be exercising more. Maybe you need to be weightlifting more. Maybe you need to be, you know, being careful of the products that you're consuming that are really, really high in like estrogen or whatever. You know, I doubt there's many men out there eating 25 kilos of yam every day, but, (laughs) or like sweet potato, but you get my point. Like there are, There are lifestyle changes that we can make on a nutrient and like hormonal level to help support a healthy, a healthy system. And maybe that's something that I could dive into with Sarah at some point. And I think another thing is like the episode that just came out a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the root cause of depression, you know, the freeze response, that the the trauma and stress and the stress response can just turn your body into off mode, basically. And of course, when you're in off mode, you're not going to be feeling pleasure. Your body on a primordial primate, like chemical level is saying, no, like danger, like shut down, shut down. So some people in that situation will use orgasm to bring them back to feel something, which again is like querying, why are you doing this? Are you doing it to feel something? Some people will be feel nothing. They won't have an orgasm because they are in off mode. So I think, you know, looking into the root cause of what's going on, if you guys are listening to this and feeling like, yes, one of us has a low libido. I have a low libido. I have a high libido. Whatever that is, I would just urge to look into like the more of the root cause stuff. And and maybe that's something that I could touch on at some point. I think one of the things to add to that is, is our attitude towards problems. So it's like when you're seeing that your body is communicating in a particular way, just simply changing the attitude and being curious about what's going on in the body changes the whole context. Because it's like, if I have a very low libido, what this says to me is is that, okay, I need to go get things checked out. And maybe I am a man that's 30 years old who doesn't have a very high level of testosterone. We also have amazing medicine that we can actually start hormone replacement therapy and actually get back that vigor that we've been missing out on. So it's it's really about being curious with whatever your body is communicating. And because if you are in a couple, you have that beautiful sounding board or that mirror of the person holding that mirror up to you, 
it gives you a reflective space of actually asking, hey, what's going on? Something may not be right here. And it gives you the opportunity of exploring that in a supportive environment. Mm, yeah, totally. I think always seek help if something doesn't feel right and something is impacting your well-being. Now, as we wrap up today, I think this is the perfect place to end. So, you know, ultimately, orgasm is a dopamine hit, right? And I want to just finish today on this ADHD point, because the more and more that I look into the ADHD space, the more fascinated I am by not only how many (laughs) parts of, of this seem to have plagued my life, even as someone that doesn't identify with an ADHD diagnosis, so to speak, But I would just love to just, yeah, wrap up today with orgasm as a dopamine hit, how you see it tying into not only ADHD, but also procrastination and just life, how we use it just to bring a bit of dopamine to our lives. If you're looking at dopamine being the the pleasure chemical, I think we can easily fall into that addictive trap here. So I think the more consciousness you bring to the sexual space, you actually align yourself more with oxytocin which I would say is probably healthier in the masturbatory environment or the connection environment and the orgasm environment, because it's then about connecting with not only yourself, giving yourself those really pleasurable feelings. And if it's in a couple, it gives you that opportunity to really bond and connect on a deeper level. When it comes to ADHD, I don't know if this is helpful. I was, I was diagnosed seven years ago with ADHD and My experience of ADHD in relation to sexuality is that there's a very, very high desire and high libido. And the more I sort of explored that was really my sexual space was one of escape. And this is where I think a lot of people who experience ADHD use the ADHD as a trauma response, right? First and foremost, And when you bring sexuality into that, we can be hypersexual, but then we can also be on the completely other end of the spectrum and be completely detached from that. So it's, we can't say that it's a one, one mold fits all situation because everyone who's got ADHD or ADD has got a very different relationship with that. But it does give you an opportunity to, first and foremost, you mentioned Gabo Mate, it's exploring the trauma that's behind that and why you've developed something like that. And you'll find at least more often than not, most people who have developed that kind of response do come from more of a traumatic sort of background. You're right. I think that's the perfect place to end today's episode is just understanding that below the orgasm, below the dopamine hits, there's often a deeper driver for something, whether that's self-esteem, validation, escape, coping. There are so, so many drivers. And I hope that today has just sort of shed a bit of light on these things for people and and really shown you a side to orgasm that maybe it is not spoken about before. So I just wanted to say thank you so much. So grateful for your time and already looking forward to having you back on the next Sex Podcast at Open House. Thank you so much again for having me, Louise.